0: The Sporlan Division of Parker Hannifin Corporation is sponsoring this podcast. Sporlan is the leading manufacturer of HVAC and R components, using quality materials and craftsmanship. Sporlan maintains a commitment to innovation, manufacturing excellence, service, and support for its customers since 1934. The company is known for its catch-all filter dryers thermostatic expansion valves, solenoid valves, pressure regulating valves, suction filters, electric valves, controllers, supermarket monitoring solutions, chemicals, smart service tools, ZoomLock Max, press to connect, and ZoomLock push, push to connect refrigerant fittings. If folks want to learn more, what do they do? Uh, You can go to Sporlin.com. I guess that's Jim and John for Sporland signing off
1: we've all been there in the middle of a job everything going smoothly until boom you're missing a part united refrigeration is your one-stop shop for all your refrigeration needs use your computer or smartphone to go to www.uri.com at any time of the day or night to check stock on your favorite brands such as copeland sporlin carlisle compressors danfoss emerson cpc boards and sensors Carell, Hussman Parts, and Therm. United Refrigeration, Inc. is home to these brands and many more. Looking for information on refrigerant conversions or refrigerant banking? Quick access links on the home page can get you to the information you need. All approved accounts are able to see live to the minute inventory and pricing. Product not in stock at your local branch? No problem. Use the nearby stock feature to find a local branch that does have what you need. Are you looking for a branch address, phone number or after hours number? That's all available as well. Just click on the branch locator and search for your local branch. Have a model number and looking for a replacement part? www.uri.com forward slash ARP has a vast list of quick pick replacement parts. Just search for the model number of the equipment you're working on and click the replacement parts tab. If you don't have an account click the register button and we'll have you online in no time. With more than 400 locations in North America, each United Refrigeration branch is fully stocked for immediate pickup. Our branch employees have in-depth technical knowledge so we can help you get what you need when you need it. Visit your local store or www.uri.com forward slash ARP today. United Refrigeration Inc. Has all your solutions down cold? Hello, everybody, and
0: welcome to Advanced Refrigeration Podcast. Here are the hosts, Brett Wetzel and Kevin Compass. And you look, you look, you look beat, man. What are you, what are you, what are you doing? I am basically dead inside. Well, I know that, but why, why, why today? I'm just beat.
2: Like we're we're doing good answer changeouts, and I'm just exhausted. It's been a uh it's been a uh, rough week.
0: You have your truck back?
2: Yeah, yeah, I got my, my broken down piece of crap back. What was wrong? I don't know. They uh, claimed it was some, some what the hell was it, the sync module for like the, the lane changing that they reprogrammed, which I find it to be complete motor BS, so it's probably going to break down again sweet i don't trust it anymore this is like the fourth time it's broken down so
0: so besides condenser changes this week is that what you've been doing all week
2: no i've been on this Dan Foss change out and pulling my hair out and then trying to clean up some of this Dan Foss stuff and uh, trying to deal with some of these issues like with this new controller that like the eyes it just won't do anything
0: yeah you were saying last time like, like it just it, it, like no matter what you do with the programming the inversions wiring it's just being being dumb
2: some good some controllers they work fine the other controllers they don't right. same components same same programming same firmware same firmware ridiculous that's weird yeah i'm like at my wits in with it just exhausted yeah
0: is that what you got going on the rest of the week? You're, you're still doing condenser change after the rest of the week? You said you had to wake up stupid early.
2: We're doing, we got to do three condensers tomorrow. In one night? One day. We're, we start early and we do them during the day. So I don't,
0: I don't even know what to say about that.
2: It's it's brutal.
0: I just noticed I had a pause thing. I can pause now? What's it? I just realized I can pause this. I can pause the
2: recording can you
0: i just they did they must have they must have did things because now i have a pause function function
2: oh my god that's so much better
0: i have a restart function so <laughs> in case oh, we're like oh that was crap we got to re record <laughs> No, they,
2: they should have had it a long time ago yeah i agree all right ready yeah yeah just run around outside being un- unsupervised
0: no it's fine you live in you live in india that's fine no last week i was in houston and that was that was i was just trying to get as much stuff done as possible we start training literally in i think two weeks i decided to take two days off right before my birthday and so i'm off tomorrow and friday and just so i can kind of recenter because i i've been putting in a crap ton of hours just trying to get everything Squared away this is a really important thing for us because, well, for me anyway, we're, we're doing the coolest, like commercial curriculum, the, the VRF, the the mini splits, the residential type units, the rooftops, just making sure everything is squared away before ice machines, making sure everything's just squared away and running before everything is, everything is cool. What else I got going on? Job fair. I got a job fair I got to go to. We're having one at Fullerton, Fullerton, California's training center, October 25th. So that, that should be fun.
2: I want a free swag bag.
0: They have swag bags. I, I think they're actually, that they, we're going to have a couple of Carhartt coolest closest tool bags that they're giving away. And I think pretty sure we're giving away some tools. I don't know how that all works out, but I, I was just told that that's what we're doing. So that's what we're doing. So I'm flying out there in a couple of weeks to do that. And I I had realized today that I'm, I'm literally booked up every other week until May.
2: Yeah, I'm just, just wiped out and exhausted from that. Like, I just looking there's, like, change changeouts to basically to the end of the year, every week. <laughs> it's just, like, not looking forward to it. It's, like, monotonous, and it's just, I'm, like, beyond burnout from it. Yeah, I get it's, it. It's just... Ugh.
0: Yeah, you were telling me about that. Yeah, so, uh, I don't know, tonight we wanted to talk about some CO2 component stuff, component operation basically talking about all the bells and whistles that are on a CO2 rack. And for the most part, like a lot of these things are kind of programmed the same. Like, and it's, and because it's it's all compressor protection, it's all system protection. Like a lot of the stuff that we're going to be talking about tonight, liquid ejection, hot gas dump, and it all kind of circumvents around trying to make sure that we're maintaining the proper suction and discharge temperatures to make sure we don't grenade any compressors. So I guess we could start. You want to start about liquid injection. So I don't know. I could start. You can start. What do you want to
2: do? Uh, liquid
0: injection. It's a it's a prevention device. Straight band-aid. Prevention <laughs> device.
2: What didn't, didn't need liquid injection? 404. <laughs> but no, so liquid injection. Why we need liquid injection? So we need liquid injection for a couple of reasons. So on the medium temp side, the transcritical side, we need liquid injection because we are running a large compression ratio. So what do you
0: mean large compression ratio?
2: How is that large for medium temp? How is 400 to 1500 not large? It's pretty large. Eh, What's that? That's a lot.
0: All right, while you while you're explaining, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna research right now. Still ahead, continue.
2: Continue. So we're running a larger compression ratio, so it's gonna make more heat. You also have the injection of the low temp discharge into the medium temp. So you have that superheated gas coming from the low temp compressors dumping into the medium temp suction header. So at times, which is Kind of rare. You still end up with high superheat, so you need some liquid injection to cool off the medium temp. So you need to reduce that superheat coming back to the medium temp compressors.
0: So I just looked it up. I just I kind of ran the numbers real quick. So I, I assumed that we would do fifteen hundred pounds for the utmost max on the on the discharge on the gas cooler pressure, and I did four thirty five. Or nope. 400, 420.
2: Nobody's 420. Really running 420. Most of the time they're running 390 to 400 because they're all jacked up. All right. Well, even, even
0: if it's lower than that, just hear me out, okay? Jerk. If I take 1550, because you have to add atmospheric pressure, which is 14 point, 14.7 when you do this. So I just rounded up to 15. Essentially, it's only a three and a half to one ratio. So that's not bad at all. That's what I mean, that's what makes systems so efficient. is The fact that you're running a, a lower compression ratio.
2: They're not efficient, though. But it, it, it's efficient if
0: you're running a, th- a three and a half to one compression ratio, where typically you're running, you're running six to one, eight to one, and, and in R22 low temp, you run running freaking almost 10 to one.
2: Yeah, which was a terrible refrigerant. I love how they yeah. always pick the terrible refrigerants that they compare it to. It's like comparing the, the Olympic runner to the, the guy with the one leg.
0: Those guys that have the me- mechanical legs can run pretty damn fast. I don't know if you've seen that before.
2: Yeah, well kind of cheating. Like, yeah, they picked the worst low temp refrigerant they could pick. And they're or they're gonna throw some one thirty four A low temp on there to compare it. It's more efficient than this.
0: <laughs> so anyway, so yes, it's it's to kind of can make sure because you gotta remember we're we're pumping discharge gas directly into the suction of the medium temp. So we're trying to make sure we don't overheat the windings into those in that compressor. Um and as we run a higher pressure, that discharge temperature also starts to you know delve delve up a little bit. So, um, from what I've seen, typically uh, they're trying to maintain on the medium temp, um, usually around thirty six. Thirty six is the seems to be the magic number as far as good superheat and so like a lot of the programming you'll see it it's like 37 and a half they'll they'll, they'll cut out the liquid injection and they'll allow it to get up to about 55 degrees of superheat before they actually kick on the liquid injection and like kevin stated before know, I mean, it's not that's not the only reason why we do that it's also to control the discharge temperature so if the superheat is still good they usually run this on a on a or function so either if the superheat is high or if the discharge temperature is high this would be the reason to do the liquid injection and most most racks i've been going through a lot of programming here late and it's been about 250 seems to be the cut in for the discharge temperature of the medium temp and 240 for a cut out now obviously if you start having problems on this it's you know you can tune this to to make it go a little bit lower just to make sure you don't go outside the parameters for anything so if you were to set the the discharge temperature lower you'd have to make sure that it's not interfering with the amount of superheat going back to that compressor but like i said before you have that that little bit of a fail safe there because you're you're putting discharge gas directly in the the butt end of that compressor
2: it literally ends up hiding more things than it does anything else because most of the time when the liquid injections kicking in you got blown valve plates or something other something else going on it, it's it you can get away with not having it like for example, like there's Cardo doesn't put it on any of the racks besides the ones you guys did out there. And the only reason they even needed it is because it probably doesn't even need it anymore. It was just for pull down. But so you have so much flash tank load coming back like that. You struggle to even get superheat most of the time, especially when it's transcritical. You have the other problem. You have. Too little of superheat, ninety percent of the time, even with even with the low temp the low temp compressors clapping along and putting as much vapor in there and superheat as they, as they are, it's still not enough. So most of the time, I hardly ever see liquid injection kick on. I've seen liquid injection kill more compressors than it's saved. Hmm. it saved. It's it's I think it's more of a band aid than anything because it ends up hiding valve plates or bleed by or other issues
0: yeah but that that's another thing too but you could use that as a as a gauge right like if you if you see the history of the rack and you see the liquid injection not feeding as as much as what it is as much as much as what it was and then all of a sudden then you have an increased liquid injection time on then you could use it as a fail safe one thing interesting like i've i don't think i've ever seen alarms really set unless you've obviously worked on way more transcritical than I have. I, they typically have, I know on the suction, typically you have like the utmost lowest superheat setting on there to throw an alarm, but I, I'd expect a couple sensor controls that basically would tell you, Hey, if this is running too low or too high or on, if the liquid injection is on for X amount of time, basically it'll say, Hey, I have a problem.
2: It depends on the manufacturer to be honest like there needs to be pulse alarms for like different things for stuff pulsing but then then you end up with a bunch of nuisance alarms because let's be honest when this thing's running transcritical so it doesn't matter what manufacturer it is like it still runs through a bunch of oil it still has low super heat like when it when it's running transcritical so you start getting those nuisance alarms so <laughs> most most of those racks struggle to keep 15 degrees of superheat when even with liquid and inje- even with vape hot gas injection going most of them struggle to keep 15 degrees of superheat especially under a high flash tank load yeah you look at it this way like you're gonna have a bunch of nuisance alarms for something you can't do anything about
0: and you're ta- you're talking about so essentially when you're running where you have a very very big flash tank load you you have that vapor at the top there but it's it's more of a saturated i can't well not that's probably not the right way to say it Vapor, huh?
2: it's like a wet vapor.
0: yeah it's, it's it's like a wet suction let's call it that it's it's even on any diagrams that i've ever seen it, it it shows that like it's it's not straight vapor they'll have like little chalk lines in there showing that you have a little bit of liquid in there as well
2: imagine it's raining like it's- yeah it's misting it's misting misting. you're picking up liquid droplets and it's getting in there and there's really nothing you could do about it so like there's knockdown baffles me and adam were talking about this from Westermeyer the one day there is actually knockdown baffles that they could be ordering and installing in these flash tanks which they should be and that helps prevent the like liquid carryover from that from happening Mm-hmm. But none of these manufacturers are buying these knockdown baffles. Like, apparently it's a common thing in the industrial side where they're using more. Why do I always forget the name of the vessel? Not an accumulator. It's a... Thermal, uh,
0: th- Thermal siphon? Not technically, but... Liquid vapor separator? Like yeah. what you'd what you have on the on the pump liquid skid?
2: Kind of, like the, like the Carnot racks have. It's a... Uh, God, why do I always...
0: Inner, 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 they're inner cooler? cooler?
2: It, I don't understand why I forget for, like, every time, literally every time. But so it, it's it's like having an intercooler. The same thing, like the intercoolers, most industrial stuff have knockdown baffles at them to keep the liquid in the bottom of the tank from getting sucked up in the top, where you would have your your suction return gas at. Now that that's what keeps it from getting becoming an issue. Mm-hmm. Now those knockdown baffles would help with that obviously it isn't going to completely solve the super super heat issue but it's it's an issue of you have that flash tank right there and it's picking up that cold liquid and there's nothing you can really do now that brings me to the next thing the hot gas injection valve hot gas dump hot gas dump so, hot gas dump there's there's a couple different ways to do this and it really depends on the manufacturer mm-hmm. none of them seem to work well when it's transcritical it's just kind of is what it is so mm-hmm. First and foremost, you have a solenoid that is dumping hot gas from the discharge of the Mm. TC side into the medium temp suction. Mm. So what it's doing is it's looking at, it's looking at a control. So it's looking at your suction return temp and your superheat. And when the superheat gets down, most of the time I see people putting it like 10 to 12 degrees and or 15 degrees i raise them up to 20 so they inject more but i wanted to start injecting faster
0: well i just had this discussion with james because i'm 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 doing doing a whole bunch of questions on on finishing up the, the co2 presentation that we're doing on that presentation the class that we're doing at Coolsys, and and basically i saw on one program for a certain certain customer they have it set for 15 and 18 but then I saw another. I think it's the same manufacturer, just a different programmer or a different customer, and they had it at five to twenty nine. Yeah,
2: yeah. That that's that's an Advancer. Those are Advancer set points. Like
0: no, but even even the other one, the first one that I, it was an older Advancer rack they, that it was.
2: They, they raised it on the Advancer racks. the The problem is on the Advancer racks. The solenoid orifices are way too small and they don't flow enough hot gas so it's like basically pissing down a hallway Mm -hmm. so you don't get enough heat coming off there Mm -hmm. to really do anything gotcha then you throw zero zone in there and they got a solenoid big enough to turn the suction to 120 degrees (laughs) which i'd rather have that problem and you could pulse the zero zone ones and they work much better but what you're doing is it's you're trying to keep that that return gas temp from getting down too low and you're super getting down too low there's nothing you can basically do when when you become transcritical because and you start getting that that carryover because here's the problem what happens when your suction temp drops your discharge temp drops Mm -hmm. charge temp drops this the the whole strategy becomes less effective so as that suction temp tanks you don't have the you don't have the the return time or the uh, discharge temps to help superheat that that suction gas, so that's where you become have a problem. Now, this is where different manufacturers do it different. Like LMP, like they'll run heat exchangers. It works fairly well. I'm not a fan of it because it gets overly complicated, and I think it's harder for guys to work on it. And if there's an issue it is a bitch to troubleshoot for most guys. So what they're doing is they're running CDS valves or BLEMOS. I've seen it both ways. And they're basically one opens, one closes. And it forces gas through a heat exchanger or around a heat exchanger. So what they're doing is I've seen it where they've taken discharge gas from the medium temp and they're forcing discharge gas to run one way through a heat exchanger. And they're forcing... <laughs> the suction gas to run the other way through it. So what they're doing is if the superheat starts getting low, they start forcing more gas through the heat exchanger and less around it. And what it does is it adds superheat to it. And then as it vice versa, as it goes the other way, it could flip it. Now I've seen it do them on the drop leg too. So this is what a lot of the manufacturers have been doing here is lately, they've been taking the drop leg and they're running it through the medium temp suction return. So what they're doing is they're using the heat coming down the drop leg. So when it's you know transcritical and we're running a lot of vapor back and see be running 90 degrees back off a drop leg, they're using that to pull some load off the flash tank. So it's it's helping reduce some load in the flash tank. And at the same time, it's adding heat to the medium temp suction to mm-hmm. superheat a little bit. So the discharge is a little bit more effective. But it just really depends on the manufacturer and how they're doing it. We'll do it with heat exchangers too. They will take a discharge of the TC medium temp and they run a a Blimo basically, a three-way valve. So as the suction temp decreases and your super heat starts getting lower, they force more discharge gas through the VM valve and they modulate it through a heat exchanger, which that, control strategy modulates that heat exchanger and then it forces it like keeps it like a 10 or 15 degree pressure drop drop it Mm -hmm. modulates a blimo and forces more gas through another side of a heat exchanger to to heat up that suction temp so they're they're using that to control the suction temp but that whole control strategy goes back to how how to basically control the superheat on the medium temp compressors. The heat exchangers work really well, but there's a lot that could fuck up with them.
0: Well, that's the thing. So like in, in the the LMP version where they use the the, the two CDS valves and, and, and they, like on this rack, the, the one rack that we saw, it basically has two valves that have to be running in parallel because it's not enough flow even with a CDS 17 on there. And then the same thing for the heat exchanger for the bypass. So those valves basically go together. So if if one is running, if the one set of valves is running 50%, the other one's gonna run 50%. If the one if one set of valves is running 90%, the other ones are going to run 10%. So that's basically how they how they sync up like that.
2: Yeah the Carno the method works really well. The only problem is is you have a lot of room for failure because if the Blimo locks up or fails it slams the discharge of the rack shot,
0: oh because of the three way valve yes, Ooh, that's 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 not good I like the I like the other method, yeah, it's a little bit more complicated, but at least you have that fail safe in there right
2: the 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 carnot one's complicated, but the the problem is is the blemos I don't know what it is with that discharge one, but like I've probably changed like ten of them really in like the last year and a half. What happens is they, they slam shut and they don't react fast enough and they blow the main reliefs. Hmm. Only racks have ever seen chirp the high pressure reliefs.
0: You're talking about the 1740s. Yes. Gotcha.
2: Because they don't react fast enough and shut down and it slams it shut. That is the most effective way to control superheat on, on a rack. I like the, I like the intercooler more than how everybody else is doing it. Like that's how it does their, instead of a liquid injection? They run an intercooler. Mm-hmm. So what an intercooler is, if it, nobody understands an intercooler at its core is a suction accumulator. Okay. It is a suction accumulator that you purposely keep liquid in the bottom. Mm-hmm. So in a, it, you're constantly boiling it off. And that is what cools down your vapor coming back. So the compressor sucking on it, and then all the vapor coming into it, superheated vapor coming back from the cases, causes the liquid to boil off, and it drops the temp and allows it to boil off and then cool down the suction gas returning. Now you keep a a standard level in this intercooler, so like 10 or 15%. And then what you do is you use that liquid that's at the bottom of the intercooler to feed your low temp cases, so that intercooler pressure will be at like 400 pounds. Mm-hmm. So instead of your low temp fixtures getting 500 pounds out of the flash tank or 515 out of the flash tank, mm-hmm. and then going down to 200 200 pounds, now you're taking it from 400 pounds down to 200 pounds. So you have less of a pressure drop, so your valves don't get as oversized, and now you have more more subcooled liquid. Yeah. You have, you have colder liquids Instead of feeding the fixtures 33 degree liquid. Now you're feeding them 20 degree liquid. So it allows things to be more efficient. I honestly think that is the best way to handle liquid injection and in overheating issues is to have an intercooler. And then it allows any liquid coming back from the flash tank to drop into the intercooler.
0: So I want to, if you're done with the intercooler I just want to go back real quick and talk about the, the hot gas dump cuz one of the only other things that we didn't discuss was the other reason for having the hot gas dump. Yes, it's also it's primarily because we want to make sure that we're not getting too low of a superheat there, but also on some programming of some of these racks, it will also kick on the the hot gas dump in case the load of the of the medium temp gets too low, so we essentially don't short cycle the rack off and on.
2: Yeah, the the problem with that is it works a little, but most of the time it doesn't because what happens when you have no load?
0: And your you low temp. temp doesn't work, right?
2: Well, when you got no load, you 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 got no load. You can't rob Peter to pay Paul. So most of the time, when you're down to that situation, most of the solenoids don't have enough oomph behind them, and then once that happens your discharge starts dropping off too so you lose effectiveness
0: i wonder i wonder if you could i don't know how fast this would react and and it i don't know if it would work incredibly well but like not like most of the controllers the ipros the the 326s they all have that heat reclaim set point where it'll basically boost the uh, boost the pressure up on the on the gas cooler i'm wondering if you could do something where you could you could do use the heat reclaim set of contacts in in conjunction with the hot gas dump where you could basically just raise whenever we think that we're going to have to use that we basically turn on the the heat reclaim where it wants to run the gas cooler at a higher pressure and then dump more load into there essentially raising an artificial load
2: that doesn't really work but what does because here's the problem when you do that you start holding back more pressure, which reduces the flash tank pressure. Mm-hmm. You start holding back more. Now what does is I was fucking around one time in the middle of winter, mm-hmm. all the rack and I fat fingered the subcooling set point. Mm-hmm. I lowered it. Okay. From like six down to like two mm-hmm. it, or no, it was the max receiver pressure. I ended up messing up and what we did is I accidentally moved the the max receiver pressure from five forty to like five eighty, mm-hmm. which allowed the gas cooler valve, the high pressure valve to open more, mm-hmm. which loaded the flash tank more, which kept the compressor running more. so it essentially false loaded itself,
0: so you basically i I don't know well, how did you 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 had to physically change that by yeah, changing it in the control,
2: but like so in three twenty six, that's a right with Danfoss. That's a writable point on on a Danfoss controller. Yeah. So you, you could essentially change that, like a microthermal. That's a changeable point. So that that's so if you had like a two valve controller, you could change that and essentially false load the rack. So what you do is you're opening the high pressure valve more because it has more of a float to basically raise that receiver pressure up. Mm-hmm. So. You're raising the range of the receiver pressure, so it, it raises that up, and then I, at the same time, I fucked up the subcooling number and put it at two. Well, it's making subcooling really quick, and it's opening in the high pressure valve,
0: which puts more load in the flash tank.
2: Which more load in the flash tank, and we don't care about anything because like we had no fixture load in all. So all the all the night are down. It's got no load, but what it does have is that flash tank load, which is the major is like. A quarter to half the rack load in the winter time or in the summertime. Mm-hmm. So what you did, I did, is I essentially loaded this thing. It kept the VFD compressor running at like sixty percent to like seventy percent, and the thing hummed all night long. And this thing, it was like minus five out.
0: I was about to ask you how low the damn with the ambient was.
2: It ran like a freight train. <laughs> but m- manipulating that. Keeps a load up. Unfortunately, the the hot gas injection this one works until it runs out of discharge pressure. The the yeah. racks, the solenoids are not big enough. They're like running. They're running DN two solenoids. I know. Like I talked to a couple people. We've drilled some of them out to mm-hmm. a orifice and they work better. Mm-hmm. So it would essentially be a DN four. But the zero zone ones, I think they're running like higher or higher orifice size. They work great, but the problem is. Is once you run out of load, you run out of load. It's you can't just rob Peter to pay Paul, because eventually Paul runs out of money.
0: <laughs> Paul, you cheap bastard.
2: Well, like, <laughs> that's the problem with, with the running liquid injection is that I, that me and James were talking about this the one day. Like they need to open up these some of these controllers to be able to have like a switchable point on there to raise the receiver reference up or lower the receiver reference so you could switch it and fall slow to racks gotcha
0: today's episode is sponsored by the Refra shield rdp series differential pressure monitors from westermeyer industries now available for transcritical co2 systems in addition to other common pressures and refrigerants when the filter element of your coalescing oil separator is contaminated it can hurt your system's performance and efficiency but how do you know when it's time to replace that filter wait too long to replace and you could end up with a nasty filter blowout but replacing too often can be a waste of time and money. The answer is installing a differential pressure monitor. The RDP series differential pressure monitors, including the new transcritical CO2 model, are available now from Westermeyer Industries. To find out more information, email sales at Westermeyerin.com. That's com. Yeah, nightshades and doors are like the enemy to CO2. Well,
2: yeah, because they like
0: being loaded up all the time. (laughs)
2: yeah you start you start lowering the load is when you start having all these issues let's talk about uh, heat reclaim we can talk about heat reclaim like it doesn't get really used as much as it should but let's talk about it
0: well a lot of one manufacturer that went down to down in tennessee they were utilizing it so instead of running the heat rack all the way out to the actual air handler and all the way out to the water yeah i know it's not as efficient but you get a shit ton of heat off of off of off of co2 anyway but they're utilizing it to heat up a small glycol loop so they can reduce the amount of co2 charge and then basically from my understanding what they're doing is they're trying to maintain a differential in order to still maintain that flow via a three-way valve and what is it It, it, what the hell what's what's the differential set point on that i can't remember
2: i'm not sure but like my my big thing with the with the glycol that to hot gas heat reclaim is we haven't had good luck with the with the heat exchangers. Like they leak all the time. Leak, leak out. Like between the plates. Like the welded plates. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I've I've probably changed out like four or five of them in the last like four four years. Yeah, but
0: that's one a year. And how many stores do you service? Oh, reality that I. But
2: read like it's
0: is really horrible.
2: Like, I will admit the way it does it with the air to air heat reclaim or air to hot gas, the fucking dehumidification you get off these damn coils is insane because i mean the discharge temps like you're running is ridiculously high in in the summertime i the 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 benefit of running aired over heat reclaim i think is just 10 tenfold it's it's almost a transcritical mitigation like as much as people talk about adiabatic and everything else i think heat reclaims the the sleeper one
0: the one that's not used a whole bunch
2: well, yeah, you really think about it. If you use it in a dehumidification strategy and you're blowing 50 degree air from a rooftop unit or a DSOA, they're using it to, you know, dehumidify, you're blowing 50 degree air through it. You're now removing a shitload of heat. Like some of the middle of summer, like they could almost bypass the gas cooler, which I don't know why they don't like, so like I, I was just looking at one the other day, it was 90 degrees outside running peak, full tilt, transcritical. This thing goes into heat reclaim mode the The line coming back from the from the CES unit was sixty
0: seven degrees. Wow. Hmm. Huh. Well, and you, I I don't know, like so. See, I don't remember how it. I gotta look at the programming, but like it would make sense that if you were doing dehumidification, you would only let X amount of to, to control like a discharge air temperature off the coil of like seventy eight degrees, right? So you're not overtaking the air conditioning, and then obviously if you're going to use it for heat heat, then you just let it ride.
2: Most most of the most of the stuff I've seen, especially like the Aldis, they run like a twenty to forty pound differential. They're trying to keep it twenty to forty pound differential. And some of them are running a coil temp. I've seen it 50, 50. They, some of them run a coil. They, they have a coil temp sensor in there mm-hmm. and they're running an actual coil temp. Gotcha. And then the DSOA is taking care of cycling the heat reclaim on and off. Mm-hmm. Whether, whatever it needs to be. But at most of those stores, the heat reclaim coils never shut off. They run basically all day and night long. Because they're always reheating the store, they're running heating, which it, it it technically should be, but it will overtake the store. Like we had one where the actuator failed, and it was running; it was like ninety six degrees by the time we got there.
0: I'm trying to remember if I had a program for the heat wreck so I could see what it was. I don't remember where I have it.
2: The it's a twenty to forty pound differential
0: heat wreck. Oh, there we go. There we go. Heat wreck
2: differential input. I think differentials like running it off of pressures is like kind of pointless. Oh,
0: you're you're saying oh,
2: just just let it run until it doesn't need heat reclaim anymore, then shift the valve back the other way.
0: Gotcha. Well, yeah, I, I
2: don't I don't like the splitting of the the gas going one way and gas going the other way. It ends up messing with the flash tank levels. Really. Yeah, because you end up getting gap, you end up getting li- liquid stacking in the heat reclaim coil, because if as you slow the flow down and it starts going the other way, now they don't pump out, so now you got a bunch of liquid sitting in the in the heat reclaim coils. You slow the flow down. Yeah, so that's why I'm not a big fan of, of doing it that way. And then the glycol stuff, like I said, you lose that efficiency by going there, but I think it's the only way I've seen anybody do water to. So like we'll do glycol to CO2 mm-hmm. and glycol to water which I mean by the time it gets to water you you've lost you you've two different media transfers you lose you lose some efficiency there.
0: Yeah, well yeah, they I've seen I've seen it at that store I was telling you about in Tennessee they basically had they were doing CO2 to glycol to to the water to the therm- thermal stores and then they had the other ones that were basically just going regular CO2 the glycol and then running the glycol outside to the, well, not out outside, but underneath, underneath, up above the roof, right? Or under the roof. And basically taking that glycol and running it out. But like I said, it can be used for heat reclaim, you know, for regular air heat exchangers. Remember, if you are running that, making sure that any of that piping, if you're running straight CO2 to any of these heat exchangers, it has to be the XHP or the stainless pipe to make sure we don't go, we don't have an issue, because it'll it'll fillet a regular fitting if if one gets put in by accident.
2: Yeah, you'll make it on the smaller fittings. We've done that in a pinch. Seven eighths and below is usually we're we're before it gets all dicey.
0: You'd have to make sure that the that the pressure doesn't it surpass that cut where it's the maximum operating pressure. Like I know there are some manufacturers out there that are using three eighths. I saw my first gas cooler that was copper. I was utterly confused. I'm like, is that HXP pop- copper? It's like, yeah. nope.
2: All, like, all ours are like that up here. They're really? all, all this three eighths copper. Three copper. If you look at the burst rating, it's kind from of the thousands of pounds. The smaller you get, like quarter inch copper, quarter inch soft copper. Has a ridiculous br- burst rating. Yeah. The smaller you get, the more, the stronger it is. So, the, like two and an eighth, everybody would think two and an eighth K is going to be like heavy duty. It's not. It's got mm. a really low burst rating because the, the pipe is so big. Mm. But yeah, that he reclaims the, the gist about that. Well, Let, let's talk about oil, the, the big black cloud in the room. The oil system, which has been like the biggest struggle. So it seems to be getting better and better as manufacturers are making it more simple. Mm -hmm. So, in the beginning, we had the controllers doing all the oil management, which I am totally against because I would rather have oil management done in a self contained apparatus. Mm -hmm. So, before you had oil eyes on the compressors and solenoids and oil eyes on the separator. And solenoids to drain it. Now we've kind of sim- simplified that. We now have OM high pressure OMBs, the crewan controllers, OM- OMCs. Yeah, OMCs, whatever.
0: I'm just I, I just want to make sure people know. I don't want people putting an OMB where they can where it might cause
2: issue. It's always going to be an OMB in my heart. <sighs> but so you get the high pressure OMCs. Kevin said I could put it in an OMB. But you will have OMBs on some of those racks.
0: Yes, but usually they, now they're just they're making it standardized. Whether it be a subcritical compressor or a transcritical compressor, they're just keeping with the OMCs. So
2: it it, it, no, it really depends. Yeah, no, you're right. It, it, it depends where you are. If you're if you're running it, you're going to have OMCs. Mm. It, it really depends on how your oil setup setup is is done. Now, so like you have the you have these self contained controllers now. So much easier, you you just like we would on a normal scroll rack or something like that, or a recip rack with oil management OMCs crewans they work the exact same, just higher pressure rating. Now, the old school way of doing it was you had optical eyes, level eyes that were in every compressor in the sides. I've never seen a Copeland with one. I've only seen the Bitzers. I've never seen the Copeland a Copeland with a optical i don't i
0: don't think they no I, I haven't either they usually use the 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 they use the eight when they do the the one that has the individual solenoids right they use those hv sensors and yeah. i yeah I, <laughs> that's one thing that i don't understand so i was like because when i because now they make different versions too and so like i was like red red means low no red doesn't mean low red means there's there's a level I'm like, it but, depends on what sensor it is? I, well, that's what I just said. Like, there are some that, <laughs> that are different.
2: Manufacturer too, or malfunction too. They, a lot, of, they, they false positive out. So, like, in to check them, what you have to do is remove them off the compressor, and you have to have an actual like eye and stick it in a cup of oil, and. Pull it out, stick it in, pull it out, and see what whether it changes and if it if it changes the closure. Now that go ahead, Brett.
0: No, I was going to say is like like when I was at Arizona, like I he asked me to change one out, and I was like, oh well, then I'll just I'll change the head because he's like just tra- just change change the head first. I'm like oh, okay, so I changed the head, walked away from it, and I was like, yep, it's working, it's working. I checked, I checked on the on the controller, and then came back a couple minutes later. I'm like, what the book? I just changed it, and I was like, nope, nope. It, it, it's messed up on the on the inside there.
2: There really isn't too much to be messed up. Like most of the time I see them, it's usually on startup and they're scratched or they they got shit inside of them, like mm-hmm. dust. Like what was it the last one I did? We we had it kept false positive, kept saying it had oil and it didn't. And there was a shitload of dust inside of it. Mm-hmm. As soon as we cleaned it, it was fine.
0: So before we get into like how those work I just want to explain the the other portion of this. So typically you'll have the oil separator. The oil separator will have that that the, the HP sensor on the side there. Once it measures a load on there, it'll kick that uh, the solenoid on there, the reservoir solenoid will off of the oil separator will fill basically as it usually energize for five, for 10 seconds and then off for 5 so it has a 15 second cycle time. So that's so we can have that that level in the in the reservoir and to make sure that we have enough pressure to feed both into the the compressors on the medium and low temp um typically you'll have an equalizer line off the top of the reservoir going out into the top of the or into the into the flash tank just to maintain that pressure because as you have educated me before typically you need about 75 pounds of pressure to make sure that you have proper oil flow
2: yeah once you start Tiptoe below 75 pounds, you start getting into the the poor feeds. And that that, that is one thing that the OMCs in the crewans. It's the only drawback is it's gotten a little worse with those. Like they they don't like the lower differential. They're, they're orphist obviously, so they don't they don't handle having the lower differential as much as the other solenoids did. So like the HB solenoids, where they were just injecting off of microthermal or CPC doing it, like the the OMCs, like they they don't handle the low differential pressure as well. So you got to watch that. So that's why you really want to watch that that receiver pressure.
0: Probably because it's ported, right? So because a lot of those are typically used on high pressure when we're dealing with HFO and HFC systems, right? We you know, we can put straight discharge pressure in there.
2: And the high pressure OMCs, like like they run those. They run straight high pressure OMCs. So they have a high pressure oil separator and they're running straight 13, 1400 pound oil straight to the compressors.
0: See, on the on the Carnot rack that I saw, it, it had the system that I just explained where it basically had the separator, then a reservoir where it knocked it down via that. But I've never seen it with without.
2: That's their industrial rack. Mm-hmm. They're they're what they call their commercial like warehouse rack. What they're doing is it's actually quite simple. It's they re, they're running a, a filtered separator, and what they're doing is they're taking that, and it, it's a reservoir separator combo like mm-hmm. you'd see at a target, mm-hmm. like pro rack, and they're, they they've literally run that out with a stainless line, and they pick up the high pressure OMCs off that. So there's straight discharge pressure, uh, gas going right to it.
0: Yeah, I actually just I brought it up right now. So the OMC's, the OM5's, the yeah, the the OMC's, the OM5's, they have a maximum operating differential pressure of uh 1450 PSI.
2: Yeah, so they they take straight discharge gas and you're going to start seeing that more and more because Westermeyer now has a high pressure centrifugal separator so they've ditched the filter, which is like my biggest bitch with the CO2, is blowing the temperites or blowing the the filtered separator, and they have a high pressure centrifugal separator. So I started one up last winter at a Walmart. Mm-hmm. It worked phenomenal. Yeah, so, but that that's all on high pressure OMCs. Like they're not reducing the oil pressure down; they're running straight discharge gas oil pressure.
0: So it's basically a CO2 th- turbo shed. Yeah. Without calling it a turbo shed because that is a husband trademarked
2: name. Yeah, basically. Yep. But yeah, no. It's the only thing I don't like about it is they have obviously they have high pressure hoses on there. Uh huh. If one of those fucking hoses leaks, holy fuck <laughs> the mess! Like oil at twenty pounds makes a huge mess. Oil at fourteen hundred pounds <laughs> makes a ginormous mess
0: make sure you don't have any leaks
2: well we had a hose blow at a costco yeah and i shit you not it, it was 25 30 foot ceilings in the mechanical room oh my god It was dripping from the ceilings it was all over the drywall it put a small hole to the drywall <sighs> everywhere like it, it's probably to this day a year and a half ago it's probably still dripping oil from places
0: you remember dumb and dumber too Oh yeah, where you sh-
2: shit everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's yeah, that's basically how they're doing the, the high pressure OMCs. I would rather have that than anything because all right, now you're eliminating the oil drain solenoid. You're mm-hmm. eliminating the reservoir. The reservoir you're eliminating, reducing, reducing
0: the load you're reducing the load off the flash tank because the that excessive pressure that you're that you're bleeding yep. off there is going into the flash tank which is adding more capacity the
2: crewan version to this you have to program them okay every manufacturer I, that has tried to use them we can't ever get them to not inject fast enough and they end up filling the compressors too fast the, the Emerson ones or, or the Copeland ones, the OMCs mm-hmm. never had an issue with them overfilling. Like if they overfill or they're bad, it's, it's a bad one. It just fills all the time.
0: Something got in there where it actually they, you know, damaged it.
2: But like the, the ones, ones, like, I don't want to be sitting there trying to program this thing. And every one of them is going to be different. And like, it, it's too much. Mm-hmm. Like it, it needs to be simple the whole that's the whole point of this it needs to be simple i need to be able to grab one of these off the shelf and change it with another one without hooking my phone up to it and trying to reprogram the pulse rates and everything else and then expect some service guy to come in there afterwards some apprentice or somebody doing it and expect them to do the same thing
0: unless there's a procedure ra- yeah i know i get it i get it. it it's making it it's making it uh, more simplistic to make it easier for someone to, to hook it up Real quick, let's let's go back. Let's circle back to the the system that they they really they. I, I don't know if they, it seems like every newer rack that I've seen like kind of ditch the whole pulse the, the pulse width one. But I just want to cover that in case people have some of these older racks out there that do have them. Typically, the the compressor oil solenoids they have a sixty second cycle time or at least that or uh, pulse width time. That's what they're usually programmed for. Usually about what thirty seconds on, thirty seconds off.
2: It really depends on the manufacturer. I've seen them, I've seen them be ten sec. I've seen them more of them be ten seconds on, ten seconds off. Like I've never seen one at sixty. That's usually that's good's kind of high. Usually they're they're ten on, twenty off, is what you see most of the time. Gotcha. So, but like that system, for example, you're using the controller and you're using the HB sensors. Mm-hmm. You're basically, so it's looking at say, okay, we got low oil it's going to make a call a digital input to the controller the mm-hmm. logic is going to say hey this compressor's low on oil it's going to say pulse the solenoid on for 10 seconds and it's going to sit there and it's going to be off for 20 seconds and if the logic comes back it's still low on oil it's going to pulse it on for another 10 seconds it's going to keep doing that and then like for microthermal if it goes so long say it's uh 2 to 3 minutes it's however it's programmed and it's still pulsing at low on oil, it's going to lock out on oil. It's going to say, hey, I've been low on oil for two minutes and the oil level's not rising with the pulses. Go ahead and lock it out. And then it, go ahead.
0: No, what I was going to say is on the, on the, on the, when they do the flexible combiners, you're usually, what was it? There's a mulch, I can't talk tonight. Today's just been a stressful day. Max pulse count lockout. Or basically if it pulses for 20 times and still not filling at that point, it'll lock out that, that particular compressor. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. So it, it'll, it'll have a count how many times it, it does it and it locks it out. So that, that, that's where I see more issues with this, with flash tank pressure than I do oil issues because this system is very susceptible to flash tank issues because your oil reservoir is venting to it and if you lose differential on this system you end up getting a lot of nuisance oil lockouts
0: oh so uh, you're talking about so if your flash tank is not is not stable uh, stable where you you, instead of having like a 10 or 15 differential so let's just say your flash tank is 490 right if it's going all the way up to 500 and then down to 4, 485 or something like that, that, that's a that's a suitable curve that you should have. But if you start seeing where the BGV is not what?
2: I don't want to see it more than three to five pounds.
0: Okay, but I not everyone is you. But what I'm saying is is that if you have something like it has a 40, 40 or 45 pound differential, which I have seen... If it goes too low, you start losing that differential. Then in turn, you start losing the differential to help push that oil out because now, now your reservoir is at a way lower pressure than what it should be. And essentially you're not gonna fill up that compressor nearly enough. So you don't get, like you said, you get end up getting those nuisance trips.
2: Yeah, 40 pounds isn't as bad as I've seen it. I've seen them in 90 pounds. I've seen hundred pound swings no I,
0: I the numbers i gave it was like it was like 20 or 25 pounds like yeah. basically total you know what i mean like
2: well i've seen i've seen them go from like 580 down to like 420 oh well, that's not good so those are the ones and that that's more common than you think those are the ones where these oil issues mess up because say it spikes down to 420 you're running a 400 pound suction well now it's got a 20 pound differential and it can't move the oil so then it pulses it pulses 10 seconds on, ten to, 20 seconds off. It, it calls again. It c- keeps calling. Well, two minutes went by. The controller says, well, you're shit out of luck. So lock, you're shut off. Yeah, And th- that's where it kind of becomes a kind of a nuisance thing. Like you'll see higher pulse counts. The only thing nice about that is the controller registers the pulse counts on the compressors a day. And you could see ones that are using more oil. So that is the benefit to that. If they could somehow integrate that on the OMCs and the Crewans, like a, a a pulse counter, like it's it's closing every every time it, it's calling for oil, that would be killer because that that was a good troubleshooting tool.
0: Yeah, you could have you could have where you'd have to have something that that basically closes a set of contacts every single time that oil solenoid feeds, right? So yeah, it's one
2: um, more relay in there. It wouldn't seem like it'd be that much.
0: Yeah. So, but as you were saying. I think in the programming at five, 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 five 592 is what I've seen it programmed at. So if it, it if it pulses more than that, then it, it's showing you that you're using, you're, you're pulsing it so much and probably because you're having some sort of issue where you're not able to fill those compressors up nearly so, as much.
2: But you also have to watch it because I've seen transcritical compressors in the heat of summer, say like 95 degrees out. 400 500 pulses a day. They 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 use a shit little oil when it's transcritical. Mm-hmm. So same thing with the separator drains. Hill was like putting them at like three hundred or like three hundred eighty alarm- pulses a day. Mm-hmm. Shit. We were hitting that by noon on some racks. Damn son. But like it's n- it's not bad if you're pulsing that much on a separator. It is what it is. Like it's you you're it's good. You're separating oil. Mm-hmm. So get the alarm out. Yeah. Like, I'd rather, I'd rather have an alarm that says it's not separating enough than than too much.
0: So I'm looking at the internals on an OMC right now. And the only terminals I see is ground L1, L2. The You got terminal five and four for the solenoid. And then you have a n- common normally closed and normally open, which is on terminals one, two, and three. So I, you'd have to do something creative with putting some sort of shit like a CSR or something like that.
2: So, what you could do, and I was thinking about this, is you could piggyback off the solenoid coil and drive a relay.
0: Yeah, but then you'd have to use one of those little itty bitty relays because I think if you were to use a regular run of the mill relay, it might be too many cycles, especially if it's going 500 times a day, right?
2: Yeah, well, you could use the SCR.
0: Yeah, so if you were, to, let's just say you were doing 500 cycles a day times 365. i can't even use a damn calculator today
2: yeah i'm burnt out like like (laughs) my brain is just fried with that stuff it's
0: 182,500 cycles a year if it were to cycle 400 times a day so that's just one compressor so they have those little uh, those little relays what the hell are those things called
2: the little white ones uh, yes so guys if you're if you are doing these and you're having compressors not feeding oil or you're having high pulse counts check those relays, make sure they're actually closing and sending voltage to the solenoids because the the EMS system is closing a relay that's clo- that's driving another relay, mm-hmm. driving the power to the solenoids. So check your EMS, make sure EMS is closing and it's driving that pilot relay. Make sure it's actually driving the pilot relay and it's actually doing what it's supposed to. It, just because the light comes on doesn't mean the contacts are closed. And ma- make sure you're actually getting good voltage through it and it's not like halfway closed or open i see that that is a common failure with those things after a few years like to be honest like after like that's a wear item to me like every two years those should get changed you're talking the the cost for those relays say say it, co- it cost it costs two hundred dollars to change those relays one service caller paid for
0: yeah hundred percent if not if not more if not the plus the the, the lost product that you potentially will prevent from changing those out well Well, it's it's the same thing we we go with i when i tell the guys to do pms like i'm like change the contactors every year just change them every year
2: same thing with dryers and oil separator filters like they should be changed every year i don't give a shit i don't give a shit if it's not plugged like don't let it don't let it get to that point i'd
0: I'd rather change it out right before summer than all of a sudden summertime now you're changing 20 oil separators in the middle of the heat of freaking summer
2: yeah, in at two o'clock in the morning because they never feel at like noon on like a Monday. They always feel at like two a.m. on a Friday.
0: Friday. Well, two a.m. on Friday. That'd be Friday. You mean, two a.m. on Saturday.
2: Yeah. Well, whatever. Same. <laughs> I'm just like burnout, dead inside right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, I hear you. All right. Well, I think we're both smoked. So, and we'll uh, we'll close this one out. And I guess we'll uh, we'll see you guys next time.